listening to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. This week we have a returning guest, occupational therapist and DIR expert training leader, among many other qualifications, Maud LaRue from A Total Approach in Pennsylvania. And she is going to be speaking with us today about a topic remediation versus accommodation. And we talked about this briefly in another meeting or course I think that I was in. And I thought this would be a wonderful topic to bring to our listeners of Affect Autism, where we discuss the developmental individual differences, relationship-based model or DIR model, DIR floor time. And um, welcome, Maud. <laughs> Thank you for having me back. <laughs> Oh, it's wonderful to have you back. So why don't we start out by defining what is remediation and what is accommodation? So um, when when we look at, at developmental delay and the world of developmental delay, and we look at different therapy models and we do look at different facilitative techniques, then we are always confronted that the brain has a certain plasticity which allows for change and growth. So we have different strategies that we use in different modalities, including DIR floor time. And we want to know how much of the strategies we are using is accommodative to the system, which means that I'm actually doing little bypass from what the problem is and using something external to accommodate for what the child does not have or remediate am I actually working on that exact little, little pathway that is not in place and that I want to mobilize to get into place? And that's really the, the difference. So when we talk about strategies, we delineate between these are going to be mobilizing strategies that's going to go for remediation. We want to get rid of the issue as far as we possibly can, knowing that the cure for anything is not really possible. But we also want to recognize that if we keep accommodating we might not get to remediation. Okay, and I think that's a point that we'll spend some more time talking about too um, because certainly some of the things that you said could be considered controversial in some circles where they don't like the term developmental delay but developmental differences or um, needing um, to change things that aren't working per se that might be working. They just work differently and at a more delayed pace. So um, maybe we can start by clarifying that I can give an example. Our son has challenges with motor planning. And so, yes, he has a developmental difference. And yes, he has a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder Yes, he also happens to have a severe brain injury from when he was two years old. He had very severe brain inflammation. And the autism uh, was not picked up until after the brain injury. As far as we knew, he was on a developmental trajectory that was neurotypical, although he had lots of sensory issues. (laughs) So um, the motor planning piece, can we use that as an example to say, um, because this presents so many challenges to him, It actually is an issue. It is um, maybe a bit of a problem because maybe without some 
supportive help and uh, remediation, he might be stuck there for a long time. And the remediation will really help him help thrust his development forward in a way that we will see him benefiting from. Is that a fair way to (laughs) word all of that? There's a lot of thoughts going through my mind right now. So first of all, I want to do two categories of response here. The first category of response I want to talk about, because I think it does reflect on the issue, is the whole wording of developmental delay versus developmental difference. There is nothing in me that wants to disrespect a child by calling something that I don't want him to be called. In fact, my work, I think, is very respectful to the profile. um, And that's really a part of what we do. But I also don't like this whole thing about making certain words suddenly a negative word. You know, just look at the word behavior. It's a good word. If you don't behave right now, we won't have this conversation, right? And now behavior has become something that's coined with something that we don't want to hear about our kids. So, and now we're looking at this piece. It is a developmental delay. If the child is not according on par with the chronological age of his peer age kids, it is a delay. And now we want to say, okay, so some parents may feel that I'm really disrespecting them by saying that, but it truly is what it is. Um, It's not disrespectful. It is the word. There's a delay in the development. If I take the six levels of Greenspan and I have a child that's four years old that should be on level six, maybe, and he's still acting like he's on level two, there's a developmental delay. So, I think that we have to look at those pieces in in clarity to understand what it is that we're talking about and that we don't cloak things because when we start cloaking, we may also start missing the issue. And so part of the issue of remediation versus accommodation is the part that says, what do I remediate? How do I remediate? Why do I remediate? Why do I want to remediate? Okay, so if I'm looking at, yes, I'm going to respect this autistic little child. I'm going to say, hey, bud, whatever you got for me today, just give it to me because I'm, I'm here. I'm ready to receive you. Right. And that's what DIR does. It, it draws the child towards the relationship. So that is definitely good enough for me. But in my session of working with that child, my mind is always going with, Okay, so what's that next level of challenge I want to give him so that I can get him into a level of function where he could be more communicative, where he can be more relational, more part of what's going on around him, use his natural curiosity, his intelligence, and just open that up for them, right? So in order to do that, I am comparing him with developmental delay, with where the chronological age would be at this point. I don't live every moment of the day and saying, oh, you should be there and you're not there. That's not what you do. But if I only look at the word individual difference or developmental difference, it doesn't always say exactly what I'm working on. So we need to be really careful about semantics and whether we're trying to use semantics to sort of take the attention away from things that we actually should be working on. And why is this so important for me? It's because most of the times now, if you go to an IEP conference, Um, 
U.S. we talk IEP. I'm not sure. I think you also talk about IEP in Canada. Yes, individual education plans for the students at a school. Yep. So we always have the section that says um, specialized instruction, right? And in that specialized instruction, we have a whole slew of things that we put down for different um, uh, um, professions, the psychologist, the teacher, the therapist. And we put down things that we think could be pertinent to this child. Amongst one of them, we put sensory diet, right? We can have a good sensory diet. Um, it's not always defined what that's going to mean, but that's there. So those things we put under specialized instruction are actually accommodating for what we have found in the evaluation the child may have an individual difference with. So those accommodations that we're going to do to structure, like for instance, can the child, instead of sitting on a chair, sit on a therapy ball, right? Or can he sit on a chair with his TheraBand around so he can kick his feet against it and get feedback while he's able to focus? So though that would be an accommodative strategy respecting his individual difference, which is great. And can I give another example? Um, our son who needs constant movement and his vestibular system just has to be has to keep getting that sensation if that's the way to to phrase it he's such a sensation seeker he may not be able to sit he may need to get up walk around the room and then come back and sit down in order to be focused and pay attention and interact with others so that would be an accommodation to allow him to get up and move that's right but is that going to change his brain that's the difference so remediation is I want to work on that brain that he doesn't need that movement in the way that he's needing it right now. Okay. So can I stay there for just a second? Because, um, and I don't want to harp on this because I want to get to uh, the content of what you're doing, but I do just want to touch on it because I know that it's out there. A lot of um, adult self advocates say, why are we compared to neurotypicals? Our trajectory is slower, so we may, um, they may or may not agree that they go through the same. I, I believe that Greenspan is correct, that all mammals go through these developmental stages. I don't think it's a different set of stages for autistic kids, but I think the, the timeline is different. So yeah. what is wrong with the fact that it might, my kid might be nine before he does something that other kids do at age two? Um, and why do we need to remediate it instead of just waiting until it happens naturally? Now, that's an exaggerated uh, statement because, of course, we want to accommodate and help them along, but um, I think some people are defensive to that remediation piece, and and I'm not going to speak for self-advocates. I had a dream the other night that um, I got diagnosed with autism as an adult, in this dream, I've been thinking about it so much. I, I've watched some of these webinars and, and they've shown these uh, personality traits. And I'm like, that's totally me. That's totally me. I don't think I would have ever got a diagnosis. But it just shows you that there are traits that are human traits, like being organized in, and liking certain things a certain way. And and um, whatever it is that, that autistic kids tend to do um, – I also happen to have a lot of those traits, but so do lots of people. So um, anyway, it was a funny dream. But um, my point is that um, 
I can understand that someone would be defensive about saying I need to be remediated or I needed to be remediated because we have years of very disrespectful ABA therapy and not to say that all ABA therapy is disrespectful, but certainly we know there are tons of stories of horrendous uh, therapy sessions that kids don't want to be a part of and they're forced to, and they're not given a voice. And I think Maude and I want to stress that DIR, if you go on the spectrum of, of interventions or therapies of any kind or supports, DIR is the most client-centered, relational-based, where we respect the child and try and, and get that voice and make sure the child is with us, not ever forcing them to do anything. So I, I just want to make that very clear. But it, because that's always a point out there, I just want to acknowledge it and then move on to your piece about remediation. Because I, I do think it's important, if, if my little guy has never formed that brain circuitry to check in and have those effective reciprocal interactions that Dr. Greenspan talks about, that's so important, being able to check in socially and say, like, is it appropriate for me to walk up to a group of friends and tell them something when they're in the middle of something serious? How do I know? How do I acknowledge those social cues? And with floor time and some of this, we're helping the children develop those skills. And then the whole sensory stuff that you know about as an occupational therapy. You know, I, I, have, so, I have so much empathy with that standpoint. And I think, I think the two can marry. They, they are married. So what I mean with that is that I don't think I ever want to change any persona. I think the core person is there. When I see the kid hiding behind a, um, a couch because he doesn't want to, he doesn't feel comfortable with me being in the room, my heart goes out to the little boy that's hiding there, not who he is, not the fact that he's autistic, not the fact of anything, as I want to connect with that little persona. That's why yeah, our floor time and me is like two peas in a pod. It's the only way I want to work. Okay. What I, what I, when we talk about remediation, we're not talking about remediating you as a person. That would be totally disrespectful. But what we want to remediate is the brain pathways that disallows you from showing your person, from showing who you are and who you naturally were meant to be. That's the piece. And only going as far as you allow us. Because how dare I step over a boundary that you don't want me to go for? So we, if a child is banging his head against the wall because he's so frustrated with what he's feeling inside of his head, I want to remediate the pathway that stops him from having to bang his head against the wall. I, I want to work on that. I want to, I want to get him out of hurting himself, biting himself, scratching himself, um, saying to himself, I'm dumb. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I don't belong. I don't want those negative self-talk. That's what we want to change. And I think that's the piece that, that I think we all agree on that remediation is not about attacking the person for the fact that he's autistic. It doesn't even cross my mind when I'm working with a kid that he's autistic. I just naturally work as if you have developmental ability and I'm going to push you to go from one level to another. I all, when I train, it's about saying to the, I say to the therapist, I'm actually quite a lazy therapist. 
I want to be a lazy therapist. It looks like I'm not doing much, but my mind is working 10 miles a minute as I'm working on what can I, how can I mobilize this child so he will problem solve and that he won't avoid the very things he's going to need in life. That if my system is giving me so much of a hard time just adapting to my environment um, and I'm really having a tough time with it, I'm going to avoid the very things I might enjoy. That's what you want to remediate. That's what you want to do as a give back. And the way of comparing them to chronological peers is simply to have some marker. But for me to say, listen, the only time you're going to be a whole person is when you've reached your age peer level, that would be, that is totally gross. Okay, that's just not on. But to bring you out and to give you the best of what you could possibly be, and the same way that I would remediate if I broke my elbow. And I want to remediate the fact that I need more extension now because otherwise my arm's going to stay in a flexed position. That I'm remediating that pathway of movement. So that's what you want to look at, is respecting the individual differences, respecting those developmental levels that Greenspan so painstakingly put out for us to follow, and, and taking that and saying to the child, we're going to use this as a measurement, but you, as a person, is the most important guy in this room. And that we don't violate our respect for you and your respect for us. Because within that is the only time that you can actually have a relationship. If I don't respect him, he's not going to have that relationship with me. So, so I think the DIR model itself lends itself to actually marrying both of them. It considers those individual differences, looks at those developmental levels, and then takes the relationship and it makes it work. Um, so coming then full circle back to when we talk about remediation, I think it's to define what we really mean. And that's, I guess, why you wanted to have this podcast today. So for me, I look into that system. I look, how's the visual system operating? How's the auditory system operating? How are they operating together? How are they correlating with the vestibular system? How do I use touch to, in, to engage in my world? Um, what am I doing that, that I avoid? What do I do that I want to really have and seek for? And then I take those patterns and I want to switch that around so that the child will not feel an intense need for something beyond the learning that is taking place that I know that the child would want. Um, so how do I know that a child would want it? Because I can see his unhappiness when he cannot join. I can see his frustration when he feels like, there, I can't follow anymore. I, I don't have enough working memory left to follow what the teacher is saying. I'm becoming overwhelmed. I'm not catching up. That's how we know. You can see it from the behaviors. Um, and I'm saying, you know, there's negative and positive behaviors. Um, so I think I've said a lot now, but I hope I'm bringing that in perspective that um, when we talk about remediation, we're not saying remediate the person or remediate the autism. Remediate some of the individual differences that's stopping you from being your true self. Whether it's autistic, whether it's typical, it doesn't matter. Down syndrome, it doesn't matter. But we need to, to help to provide a, 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 an environment where we're looking at those things together. So now, back to the IEP, Individualized Educational Plan, and then looking at those designed instruction, or special design instructions that we have, those pieces like the sensory diet that everybody talks about, right? 
those pieces are set up so that you could have an easier time at school respecting your individual differences, which is a good thing. But you can do 10 million sensory diets. It's not going to remediate the nervous system in terms of the autonomic nervous system, the central nervous system, to get to the place where you don't need those accommodations anymore. So the next question comes up, if I know your mind by now, since we've had many discussions <laughs> together, is how do I know if that's what the child is going to be needing, right? And therefore, you have to be able to assess. You have to be able to know what you're assessing, know what you're looking at, and therefore you need to have clinical um, measures for yourself to your own performance standards and what it is that you're measuring yourself up against in terms of your own knowledge and your own experience and your own clinical judgment. And let me just uh, jump in to, to make the point that listeners or viewers on YouTube can link to the blog post associated with this podcast for mediation versus accommodation um, at affectautism.com. And I will put links to what Maude and I are talking about, because for instance, you mentioned sensory diet a few times. I did a wonderful podcast with Virginia Spielman, a colleague of yours, who's also an occupational therapist called sensory lifestyle. And she made a really good point that we talk about these sensory diets, but a diet implies it's a little temporary thing. And she said, it's so it really should be called sensory lifestyle because we're really um, accommodating the individual differences so that the child's nervous system gets what it needs. And the goal is to eventually have the child be able to regulate themselves. So we might need to show them, for instance, that this swing, when I interact with you on this swing, it helps regulate you, get you engaged, get the interactions but eventually we want the child to be able to recognize I'm a little overwhelmed or underwhelmed or whatever, and I need to go on this swing. So I'm going to go swing myself and show you that I need this right now and be able to, as they get older, and we hear this from adult self-advocates, they learn how to self-regulate in their adult years. Whereas in, when they were younger, they didn't know how to, and maybe they did have to bang their head or do other things that were harmful. So I do want to put a link to the Sensory Lifestyle Podcast. I also want to mention that you've referred to Greenspan a number of times. We're, of course, talking about Dr. Stanley Greenspan, who started the DIR model in the 70s, developed it with his colleagues through the 80s and 90s, DIR Floor Time, the book Engaging Autism with Dr. Serena Weeder, and that laid it all out and all of the stuff that's happened since. So it's quite a, a history with DIR Floor Time. And then I wanted to mention that we did a wonderful podcast. We've done a bunch of podcasts that are great. If you search Maud LaRue at affectautism.com, but we did one on Maud's new functional um, developmental assessment that she does where she takes that DIR model and all those six early social emotional capacities and really um, assesses within each the child's strengths and challenges and and then I assume that what you just discussed now about having that clinical assessment, having your judgment to then understand and that's categorized. And then you can understand where you can jump in and where you can remediate based on that assessment. So okay. we'll put a link to that as well in the blog post. And I think that's crucial. And, and that's, just, I think, where clinicians can actually do a better job is to how they assess, because a lot of the times, that, you know, a child that's high-functioning autism, autistic, um, maybe a little bit more compromised on the continuum of ASD, 
um, is often seen with exactly the same test and and there's some kind of a conclusion and they say the child's impulsive and they say the child's rigid and they say the child is controlling, but they don't explain why. They don't explain why. And nobody pops out of the womb, no matter who you are, saying I'm going to become a behavior issue or I'm going to become a whatever, you know. We, we, there's an environmental consideration. There's a consideration of nature, nurture, and, and pieces of relationship, pieces of sensory, pieces of individual differences that has to come together. And if we don't analyze every step of this developmental continuum where these pieces have fallen in place and maybe where they have not fallen in place, then we may be beating around the bush instead of going through the bush and saying that I can make this bush, I can make this happen and I can get the tunnel through. And, I, and because of that, I feel like I'm successful. And therefore, because I'm successful, I will do it again. If I don't feel successful, I will avoid it like the plague. So there are certain things in my life that I avoid. I avoid cooking like the plague. I don't cook. My husband is a wonderful cook. Um, I don't mind cleaning up, but I won't cook, right? And I'm a willful, reasonably mature adult. <laughs> don't tell me if you think I'm not. But the, um, So I can make those decisions, and I certainly know that I have an affinity and I don't want you to come and tell me that I should like cooking, right? Because that's my individual difference. That's who I am. That's not what you want to change. That's not what you want to do. You want to change the pieces that's inhibiting whatever that persona is into a place where they can feel calm, regulated, and able to show themselves truly for who they are. And I don't care what the diagnosis is. But that is the remediation part. And so what happens in the industry is that people confuse the accommodation for the remediation. Okay. I, I would like to give you permission, Maud, to share, um, without mentioning any names, some remediation that you've done with our son. Just to give an example, um, we, my husband and I have brought our son to Maud's clinic now at least five times in the last four years, if not six or seven. And um, each time he's there for two weeks and he goes through a process of, of assessment and occupational therapy, DIR floor time, some Tomatis uh, headphone listening therapy, some interactive metronome we're starting up. Um, can you pick something that jumps into your mind uh, with the profile of of our son and how you've chosen to remediate with this little guy. Let me just kind of add tongue in the cheek. I, I think he will never like us again because of the interactive metronome. <laughs> yeah. He's resistant to that for sure. So, um, and I, I just said to, you know what, let's us just get him through the hump so that when you guys are doing it at home, it's going to be a little bit easier for you because we were, we were really teaming up to get him through some of the IM. It's a hard piece. It's a hard piece. And let me just describe that for the listeners. One of the things that Maud has wanted to do with our son is get him doing this program called Interactive Metronome, which they use with elite athletes as well as a variety. It can, it can be used with anybody. In fact, I'm thinking of trying it myself. Um, it just is a, a program where you clap along with the beat uh, for those that can see, I'm making round circles as I clap. If you're just listening, I'm clapping to the beat. And, and, it, and by following this, it helps 
the brain with rhythm and timing. And our son has challenges around severe challenges around being able to um, motor plan, but I, I'm not sure. Is that why you're doing interactive metronome is motor planning piece? That's right. Because he has developed so nicely um, and become so much more happier about being able to apply himself and sequence. And he's able to do simple problem solving now, and he's able to use language now with his body. So he's really come a long, long way. And the, the thing that stops you from becoming completely executive and using your skills for executive is usually the building bridge of timing, um, which is the, the refinement also of praxis and motor planning. Um, and it really brings home different actions across the whole body and doing it in sync with others. It's one thing teaching a child to do a jumping jack, but can he go back to his peers and doing a jumping jack at the same timing as his peer? If it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. But for some, it does matter. And so you want to be able to Using that as an example, you want to be get in sync with that. You also want to become in sync with, I want to put my thought in writing. So I must put in sync in timing my thought process with my writing process. And I have to remember all kinds of things in that moment in working memory. Um, so working memory will help me to start on the left side of the page, plan my sentence across the sentence, uh, the, the line, have enough spacing between the letters so you can see what it is that I'm writing, uh, having form constancy of my letters, doing all those pieces, but still keeping my thought in mind, and also the whole picture of the whole entire paragraph that I want to write. That working memory is set up by timing between verbal working memory and visual spatial. So what you want is you want the, the working memory piece to come alive so, and what that means is that when the teacher starts speaking and she starts showing something at the same time, is both streams of information reaching the cortex at the same time? If not, there's, there's a little bit like a badly dubbed movie going on because the lips are moving in a different way. Like maybe you can see us even now because internet has the, has the same um, way of doing that kind of thing. But the, um, so you, the, child, the, the teacher is saying something different than the visual image that's coming to the brain. And therefore, some children look away to listen, or they will look at the teacher but shut down the auditory system. Right? So none of that's going to be conducive for good learning. So that's where we are with, with him right now, is that we want to, and it's not the only place, but we want to start getting him into gear so that we can get that more active working memory for the executive piece. So let me because, because I will say that he's nine and a half and he's only just now starting to read. He doesn't write. Um, he scribbles and he holds the pen, pencil, crayon with a fist. He can be prompted to hold it in what do you call that? Pen, uh, pencil, the, the pencil. Yeah, the pencil grip. He he yeah. can he can do that if we help him do it. But he has no patience or he, he, he doesn't like to do it for more than a second. And then he just wants to scribble and throw it. <laughs> so it's very challenging for him. And they are working on him writing letters. Um, he apparently, no matter what letter they tell him to do, he keeps just writing the letter E because that's easiest for him. It's hard for him to write a C, but he did it once the other day, they said. And I'm not sure what they're doing. I'm not sure if it's a crayon or a chalk or what it is, but but these things are challenging for him. So um, this is part of the remediation you're talking about is let's help him be able to get his thoughts and ideas out because when we started with you, he, he could barely, he didn't have a lot of language and what he did have, nobody could understand what he said. 
Now he's speaking in full sentences. He's correcting his own grammar. He's starting to say things that are imaginative, imaginative, if that's the word. <laughs> um, he's, he's really blossomed in so many ways. And so we're continuing with Maud's support to, to help him continue to develop. That's right. And, and that's such a good example. You know, Daria, I mean, did we change him who he was? Oh, he lets us know who he is every second of the day. <laughs> and, it's, and he's done that from the beginning. He's always yeah. had his persona. Nobody's going to want to change that. We don't want to disrespect him for who he is inside. Um, but and, what- and I will say that everybody at your clinic adores him because he's so cute and fun. And he, he has this spirit inside. And, you know, he's like, do this, do that. He wants to get people to do stuff for him that it, it, he knows what he wants, but he's challenged in how to do it. So he tells you to do it for him. And right. we want to help get him to do these things himself. That's right. And that's where remediation comes in. You know, and that's what we're doing. And, and really with the, um, with the whole uh, assessment piece and that driving intervention. So every level, you want to look at the different phases of development, right? So we basically have three phases that we work on. First is foundational, which is usually set up in the first two years of life. And then you have organization on top of the foundation, which is your timing and your sequencing. You're putting your integration pieces you know, I can walk and talk at the same time. I can drive and have my thoughts at the same time, those pieces. And then you have your executive. So that's what the evaluation does. And then we basically assess and see where is the most pieces that's holding him back. What we did with your son at that point is we, um, we started absolutely at the foundational level. And we looked at his regular, we worked a long time on regulation. Um, because the regulation was making your boy very unhappy. Lots of meltdowns, frustration moments. The sweetest boy can turn into be such an unhappy place. Um, and I remember so f- very much the first video I saw of him here at the center. He just went into the playroom and he lied on his back. And he was just like lying on his back looking at the area and showing us that I am not comfortable with things coming up from behind me. I want to be on my back so I can see everything around me and be vigilant right? And, and how much he's now completely just gone away from that piece. He now engages with curiosity. He's now changing pieces because we've followed the development. And I've just run, and I just finished a um, bronze level, uh, a course of autism on my academy. And on that course, I give a case study at the end. Um, and every time I work on a case study, I am amazed, but I shouldn't be amazed. How All the case studies, if we follow the trajectory of typical development, it comes true. It comes true. The one big solid we have without having enough science or evidence base for many, many different pieces, the one solid we have is that development hasn't changed. Pressures on development has changed. And the way that the environment expects this person to be able to do things have changed. Um, And let us not kid around about it. There's a lot of performance expectation on any individual, um, typical or atypically developing. So those pressures need to be handled by the system. And so what we gave him in the first sessions of his intensives is we gave him an ability to stand his ground. To say that I can feel something coming to me that's frustrating. I can feel that sympathetic over arousal, but I can also feel what to do about it so that I don't have to be 
um, caught in a space where I don't, I don't know what to do. So I'm out of there and I really wanted to stay. I can't do what I want. So now that foundational piece has really become solid. And did we wait until it was perfect? Absolutely no, it's still not perfect. He still dysregulates with some performance demand, but we got him in a good place where he can now use some of that skill. So now he's in that, he's in that middle phase of organization where we got to, can I look and listen to the teacher at the same time? Can I do the pieces that's going to give me that I will start a task on the same time as my peer and not feel like I'm always catching up, catching up, catching up, right? And not get that anxiety. We want to decrease that. So that's where we are right now. And that'll probably take us a while again. And some of the reports we're getting back from school since we have Daria is very good about keeping the whole school and everybody in a team approach together via email. Since we are many, many miles apart from Philadelphia to Canada. Um, so the reports back from schools are how much he's now able to use that creativity that he has and, and how much he's able to now use the language to correspond that creativity. And so now he can give us his idea and now he can say how he wants to do that idea. And he actually has a step sequence now um, and how he's, he's making up funny jokes about pieces that he's seeing that could be ha 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 funny. And he's always had a sense of humor, especially when I saw videos with him and his daddy always had a sense of humor, but now he can actually activate his sense of humor himself. He doesn't have to wait for somebody to, to act like to give him the sense of humor to in, to get that out of into the open. He can really do that himself and he's finding places that's funny. And, and, you know, I think for me, without becoming too kind of whatever about it, I think the best place in life is to be at a place where a child can laugh out of his belly and say, I'm here and you're going to like me, <laughs> you know, just you're going to like me. And that's really what's happening to him. When I see those comebacks from the public, you know, from his school environment where there is multi-sensory and all kinds of things taking place. Of course, he's in a wonderful school. Um, so when I see that things coming about and how the work that we're doing here two weeks at a time is translating over in the team that's working with them there and how much beautifully they are doing the things and we have a complete a team approach because they do DIR, we do DIR. And that common language is so beneficial for this young man. Looking at those developmental phases and looking at remediation, if you can, we can put that into inverted commas, the way that we want you to think about it. The, um, um, we're wanting to put the building blocks in place. That's really what we want to do as far as it's going to take to make him the happy guy that he needs to be. And he certainly is a happy guy. Um, I'd say he flips from happy to frustrated, happy to frustrated when things are challenging. And, and um, you know, he absolutely loves going to Maud's clinic. Uh, the first time it was new, it was a little bit strange. We were there to support him. But he absolutely loves it. He loves the therapists. They're so playful with him. And that's the whole point of DIR, whether it's occupational therapy or um, floor time or whatever else he's doing. They are DIR above all else. And they're being playful. They're making that safe space for him in that good relationship. So he feels safe with them. He trusts them. And they're not going to... Um, cross the boundary of that trust with him. And so he has a ball. We talk about, we call it school camp. We're going to school camp and 
It doesn't hurt that Philadelphia has 8 billion model train places all around it because we we're going to school camp and we're also going to Strasburg to see the trains and we're going to school camp and we're going to Morris Arboretum to see the garden trains and we're going to school camp and we're jumping at the sky zone or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's, and, and from the time we started with you, he was very uncoordinated. And, and then a couple of years ago, he started riding a bicycle. And I remember specifically when you watched that video, you said to me, I loved seeing that video because he wasn't looking at his feet. And that was the important thing for you to see that it was an automatic process now. He learned how to do it and he wasn't needing to watch his feet or look at the ground while he was riding. He's now, he now was able to fully ride the bike. And, and that was a huge step for us. Of course, toilet training was a huge step too, but all of these things have sort of come and later than you expect, but they came. And um, every time we've gone, we've seen these jumps in his development, his language, especially because of his auditory processing and that. And, and, you know, he, he has these sensory challenges that are holding him back. So I think the respectful remediation that you guys provide are, are really helping him. And, um, and the more we can help him, the better, as far as I'm concerned, within reason. Obviously, we want him to be a little boy and play and enjoy his time. And he certainly does, <laughs> does all of that, too. And the, you know, and that's just the part that I think that we um, that we can take to the other extreme of this discussion, Daria. And this is that um, the whole aspect of putting a bar on the diagnosis, because he's autistic, it becomes an excuse for when I don't know what else I need to do. <laughs> and when the therapist is kind of saying, "Well, I think he's sort of maximized his potential, so he needs to be discharged from therapy." That's the pieces that I really would like to see therapists address a little bit more clinically. Um, there are so many times that kids are stopped from further therapy or further remediation because the, 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 it goes to the extent of the therapist's knowledge. Um, and that's one of the reasons I also wanted to start the academy is to say, listen, there is more than that available. You can do more. There I can tell you stories about I have this wonderful, wonderful um, client that I'm working with that I want to say a lot about because it's private information, but she is quite autistic, but she will invite my therapist into her home and will videotape all kinds of things that she wants to show Ms. Maud, Ms. Maud. And then I would view the video and send feedback back. And then she would watch that video and she would watch it and watch it and watch it. And then she'll figure out something else that she wants me to clarify. And every video she plans, she plans and she wants to show where oh, this is the place where she was disappointed that her mom called her out in front of her friends. This was a place where she wasn't very happy because she sang loudly in front of people. She can't speak very well, but she can sing very well. Right? So this girl is completely symbolic. But nobody would know that if they looked at her, you know, and I can tell you so many stories like that where you just had to use different medium. Am I going to, the one time that she came to the office, one time, because we wanted to look at something, she met me face to face, she ran away. 
I was like, man, it must, I must have a bad hair day or something. <laughs> oh, it wasn't that. It was that she can only handle me on a computer when she can stop and start my conversation. She could not, she did not want to deal with me as a person, but she wants to tell her mom it's time to get Miss Maud because she's got something to say. It's, it's just an incredible place to be so privileged to actually say, am I going to want to change her for who she is? Absolutely no. But did we have to, did we work on some remediation over the time, getting her to read so that she could use that curiosity of her mind? Yes, we did that. Otherwise, you know, if she couldn't read, she couldn't do what she's doing right now. We had to get these pieces in place for her that wouldn't otherwise have gotten into place. Um, so uh, I have another 16-year-old young man who probably will always live in the basement of his, of his parents. But the other day, he put a little figure in the sand. And in that, and putting that figure in the sand, he put the figure in upside down with the head down, and he made the legs walk, symbolically telling us, in a symbolic level, which is kind of like up from theory of mind, right? Or at the same sort of trajectory, depending how you look at it. Um, he was showing us that I'm walking through life, but I don't always see that I'm walking. You know, just that, it's just profound stuff. I don't want to change that kid for who he is. I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, but what I want to do is I want to give him an ability to express, an ability to, to talk, even when they can't talk, ability to just have themselves come out as the human being that they are, forgetting about the fact that they even have a diagnosis. So... Like, like so many kids who have used AAC devices to finally be able to communicate when before they were trapped inside their body and weren't able to communicate. And then with, with learning how to use these devices um, are now able to communicate and type on the computer and blog and, and all of those things. But, but I think the pushback came when we, we had this whole thing about extinguishing their behaviors and um, you know, I've got to make my child be publicly appropriate, socially appropriate. I think the stigma came from those words that was so, so um, used in, in literally an indiscriminate way. And also didn't really, there was no thinking beyond that. What were you actually saying? What are you saying? Um, and also giving the parents this idea of, you know, you, you have this year to catch up. That's what's giving developmental delay a bad rap. It's, it's the way we professionals are coming across to parents and to individuals that are autistic that do get us, but they can't always tell us exactly how they're feeling about what we're saying. And now they have a voice, and I'm grateful for that. I want them to have a voice. That's what I'm working for. But, that, but the wording that we use, we must be so careful. So I don't really want to go away from the word developmental delay because it is what I needed to say. There is a developmental delay. He's not on par with his peers, but I'm not saying that he has to be. It just means it's a measurement, a measurement for me to, to target so that I'm not working in the dark, that I have objectivity and that I can plan in an objective way. But when I'm in that room, do you think I'm thinking about his brain pathways? No. I'm just thinking, hey, buddy, let's do this together. What are we going to do? How, what, what's my, what's going to make you go today? Where is, where's your happy spot? Where's your comfort zone? And then I'm going to join you first. 
and I'll come and join your world in a respectful way as much as you allow me to. And then maybe when you kind of turn towards me, then maybe I've got something in store for you, right? That's what you want. And that really, so you're building that, you're building the peace through the child's wanting to be with you. That's true for time. And when you do that, when the child turns towards you and says, I want, that's when you have intrinsic motivation. And as soon as you have intrinsic motivation, it's like bells going off inside of the brain. We are, the, the, the brain is firing, and as soon as the brain fires, whether, whatever you're going to call it, you're remediating. Whatever, whatever word you want to put there, it is remediation. The nervous system is firing in a way that causes growth to happen. That's what you want to do. And that's the key, the intrinsic motivation. You're not forcing the child to come to you on your terms. It's that child's intrinsic motivation. Like I've held up that cup of water that my son is so excited to pour on the sand or whatever it is. And he's so excited and you're in there with him and you're using that motivation and excitement through this wonderful relationship to get these wonderful, rich interactions. That's right. That's right. There's nothing, there's nothing for me that works like floor time does. It just, it just is like the Holy grail for me. Um, idea are my dog idea are my husband. He knows it. I always use it to him and example at all my trainings, but it's, um, you know, I, I get what I want. <laughs> mobilizing my husband. <laughs> so, but it's a, it's a, if we see it in the light of respect and we're not saying like, I want to change you. You know, that's the part I think that is so offensive. Um, why did, I mean, Daria, can I just change you? You know, I don't like what you're doing, so maybe I can just change. Don't flick your hair like that. You know, it makes you look arrogant. Like, Maud, I actually just need a cut. The bangs are hanging in my eyes. It's irritating, right? So you, you can't go there. You can't do that kind of face value things. But can you respectfully harness the core of that child so that the child will follow the developmental trajectory himself because the intrinsic motivation has been captured and you're working on neural system activity to make them fi- the nervous system fire. And therefore, we have a changed system, but not a changed little guy or girl. Well said, Maud. Thank you so much. Um, again, I'll uh, write uh, a blog up to accompany this podcast and or video, depending on whether you're listening or watching at affectautism.com called remediation versus accommodation with Maud LaRue and Maud LaRue now has a wonderful Academy modlaru.com. I'll put links to that in there for professionals, uh, mostly for professionals, but also for parents in general, there's a lot of different courses with wonderful amounts of information. Maud is a lifelong learner, always taking courses, always keeping up on the latest research um, and uh, I'm so glad you started this academy because it's um, spreading the word about how to uh, improve the process that professionals go through because um, I think we covered that already, that many professionals are stuck in these old ways of thinking, and we want to bring this more relational developmental approach out to the mainstream so that it becomes the norm in schools and in therapy settings. So um, hopefully the model Academy will, will um, move towards that goal. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Thank you, Daria. 
Thank you so much for being with us again. It's a pleasure. Until next time, here's to affecting autism through play.